Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us Fridays here uh, on JM in the AM for the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Well, it's good to be back with you. I hope everybody had a meaningful Shavuos and uh, were able, if they didn't participate personally, at least have participated uh, through the broadcast and everything in the amazing events in Jerusalem last week. Oh, Jerusalem Day was incredible. That was uh, one unbelievable week. An honor to be part of it. It was just a fantastic celebration. I hope it continues this coming Sunday. Uh, well, th- th- I mean, my holiday was fine until uh, the middle of day two when I started hearing the news that was coming out of Washington. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, let me first remind everybody with you on the other end that this Sunday is a golden opportunity to continue the Jerusalem celebration and really to come out and to show a big show of support for Israel, the Celebrate Israel Parade on Fifth Avenue in New York City. You've always been an enthusiastic supporter. Why not explain to everybody for a second why it's so vital that everyone come out and enjoy it? Well, I think you've said it all, uh, and that people by this point, I hope, realize why it's so important. Just take a look at all the groups that are organizing to protest against it, and then you'll have a better idea of why this is so critical that we show support for Israel at this time uh, after the decision that was made to show our support for Yerushalayim, to show that we appreciate it, that we're worthy of the tremendous list this generation has to have Israel and to show God that we don't take for granted the amazing miracles that surround it. All right, you know what news I'm referring to? I'm referring to the uh, decision by the President of the United States to um, rescind his uh, campaign promise and instead of um, guaranteeing that the embassy in Israel would move from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, he signed a waiver yesterday which would postpone this decision uh, for at least six months. Uh, If it's longer or different than that, you'll let us know. Um, What is your reaction to the president's decision not to move the embassy? Well, I'm disappointed, of course. We all wanted to see it happen. Uh, I'm not surprised, as you know. I've told you that uh, I thought that the build-up, number one, that there was much too much publicity about it, and it became a challenge, and we saw that King Abdallah came here of Jordan and urged the president not to do it. Perhaps others told him the same, and some of his advisors. We know there was uh, discussions within the administration. We don't know whether there was a split. Uh, as there were on some of the other issues uh, of late, but the um, uh, the, the statement at least left the door open that uh, it's something he still intends to do or, or promised that he intends to keep. I know there'll be disappointment in other constituencies, the Christian evangelicals who are very big supporters of his for whom this has also become a major issue, and uh, they have argued for it. Uh, and certainly for for the Jewish community, the, the Prime Minister's comment, as you saw, was very balanced. It recognized the friendship of the President for Israel. And uh, I, I was privileged to be amongst the few people that were invited to be at the Kotel when the President came. And it was very moving to see for the first time a sitting President visit the, the Kotel, put on a yarmulke, and clearly demonstrate that this is a Jewish holy site. I think it's the best refutation to the ongoing efforts of UNESCO and others to uh, denigrate or deny the Jewish connection. But still, the, the this could have been done in an easy way. It's, it's not the right. moving of the embassy. People have to realize we're not going to move a building at this point.
point. Yeah. It, it's hundreds of people. It will take years to do that. Isn't it remarkable that that gesture of going to the Kotel and really declaring, as you just said, with his actions, what he did declare in terms of historical connection and the present circumstances regarding Israel and Jerusalem or East Jerusalem, if, if, if someone out there would prefer. Um, isn't it amazing how that did not cause any type of uh, reaction or violent protests among those who may disagree with that move? But when it comes to the, this, this symbolic move of the embassy, as you just described it, not, not physical, but it, it, it's unbelievable how they fear what the other side, what the other side to the peace process might do or may not do because of it. It just, it, it, to me, it seems so ridiculous that one gesture uh, nobody has a problem with, and they go, and he goes ahead with it without any fear. And this other gesture is so questionable to him. Well, I think part of the uh, problem is that that's coming to these threats uh, is is a mistake because there's never a limit. Right. You you have to be judicious. You do it right. You don't take on issues unnecessarily where where I think there are obviously the war in Iran, the, the conflicts, uh, so many important issues in the region. But the symbolism of the recognition of Jerusalem, and we're not talking about East Jerusalem, this doesn't go beyond anything that, that is not accepted. And when the House uh, voted 90% and 93% of the Senate voted for this in 1995, and the fact that every president promises to move the embassy, I mean, if every promise had been fulfilled, we'd have probably 30 embassies in Jerusalem already. The, the, <clears throat> we have to think about the message that it sends also, that America should stand up for what it believes in. Again, I, I think it has to be done judiciously, and I think the problem was that there was too much hype in the beginning. But, I don't, but, but that doesn't make sense to me. How could there, how could there not be hype? How could there not be... You know, no, I think that it's something you do. You don't talk about there. Sometimes when you're better off doing something and doing it smart, and here, it, it, you know, the, the whole image of this has been so blown out of proportion about what this would entail. You know, there are various suggestions of putting up a plaque at the existing consulates or something. That's why I was trying to say that it's not moving the embassy right. yet. Because it means moving hundreds of people. You need to build a building. It'll take years to do it. I don't know. I think this gesture, and by the way, I, I said East Jerusalem, meaning that if somebody out there would have the outrageous opinion that the Kotel or that area would even be considered East Jerusalem, even they, even that camp didn't react to his gesture. But it just doesn't make sense to me that he's going, he goes to the Kotel, he goes to the Western Wall, he establishes that the United States now under his leadership recognizes Israel's control of that area and, and its historical significance to that area. And nobody says a word. And if they would have just gone ahead and done what you just described, the plaque, some type of, you know, some type of, of informal ceremony or formal ceremony, whatever it was. I don't think anybody would have said boo. Well, I think what he could have done is called that morning or before it happens to the king and to, the, to Abbas and said, listen, this ship is leaving the dock. You will see in the morning when you wake up, nothing has changed. There's only going to be a plaque there and the ambassador will sit there, you know, two days a week or whatever. Um, as you know, that they, they, despite what he claimed, they, he, his residents will remain primarily in in the in um, in Herzliya, and he will, and uh, at times at the King David in Jerusalem uh, for security and other reasons. And the um, uh, 
you know, the, it's, well, it's very complicated because I think a lot of this has to do with experience with the issues and how you address uh, some of the concerns that have been raised. And um, we hope that this is uh, just a temporary gesture and that, that we will see uh, the embassy uh, established. I, I want to see a declaration that United Jerusalem, and, you know, it was, it was one of the issues I raised, and if you remember about the Russian declaration, and even ministers in Israel welcomed it and said, look what they said, they recognized that West Jerusalem is the capital. And I told them it's the worst thing in the world that could happen for Jerusalem. The recognition of West Jerusalem is not an issue. Everybody says that West Jerusalem will stay there. But what they did essentially is give East Jerusalem away. Right. Well, I don't want a declaration that West Jerusalem is the embassy or the recognition is that you put it on this side. I want a declaration. We want to see uh, a, a emergence of a policy that retains the unity of Jerusalem. Everything I think can be worked out. If, if you have strong policies, you show determination. And as you said, when the president makes a decision and he goes someplace, his speech at the at the um, museum was very tough. He had very strong lines, and I'm sure that the people were not didn't like it. He, he the reports that he met with Abbas and yelled at him and to let him know that he lied to him, which Abbas has been known to do all the time, everywhere and consistently that it's been their policy because he was never held to account. The Obama administration and, um, and even before, and Arafat did the same. They, they, they lied to the face of the presidents, and Clinton, if you remember, exploded about it and, uh, and, and said he was a liar. And the, the, um, now when he told the president that he did not engage in incitement and that he's made a peace, et cetera, et cetera, and the president said, look, I saw all the evidence that you personally were involved. And, and they just saw the announcement that, that he had appointed a, a former terrorist the one who, who killed uh, Bromberg, Avram um, Bromberg, to to the Fatah Council, and he now you saw two interesting developments. I think are really remarkable. One is that the United Nations pulled funding from a community center named for Dalal Mugrabi, who who uh, took part in the killing of uh, of dozens of people on the coastal road in the bus in in 1978. Because of who it was named for, that's why they yes, pulled. Wow. Yes, and that Denmark. Uh, also, which has been terrible in providing funding to NGOs that work against the state of Israel, as, as Norway, Sweden, and others, these great Scandinavian uh, countries who have been consistently engaged in this, uh, this stuff, they also pulled the funding, and now they say they're doing a total review of the money that they give. I think it amounts to $8 million or more, uh, but they, they supported this uh, uh, building, this community sent operation, uh, and because uh, of naming it for a terrorist, they pulled their funding from it also. All right. That's if everybody did it, and there was some consistency in it, because they wouldn't do it anywhere else, would they provide funding, and, and in such a blatant way, Abbas and the PA have consistently you know, supported it, and especially the money. There's a new study that shows that over a billion dollars was paid out to, to uh, terrorists uh, over over the years to to in this scheme you know where they give money for the more you kill the more you get uh, and the the um, uh, for the for killing and for maiming and for or, or their families if they uh, quote martyred and then the declarations of buildings etc in their honors this is outrageous and and hopefully the the Taylor Force Act I saw that Chuck Schumer came out with a very strong statement about it uh, so did other Democrats now. More and more people finally are coming to the recognition that this outrageous practice, which 
frankly, you and I have discussed on this show for a long time, and uh, people did not pay attention to it. And, they, uh, you know, when they're spending uh, so much money, so much of the... Um, uh, of the money that should have been going to their people, and they complain about the the unfortunate condition of the Palestinians. Well, why don't they look at this and see where where the money is actually going and how come? All right, you got You got to help me close out this issue. And I know that I, I know that you probably feel I harp on it too much. Probably we got. I'm sure. I mean, we got. I got. You got to satisfy me here with an answer of who's to blame for this whole embassy thing. I I, I have it down to three. Okay, I have it down to three. One is American Jewish leadership, which I think you've alluded to as an unfair accusation on my part, but I think it was a terribly wasted opportunity not to sit on the president for these past months from the moment he made that commitment and make sure that that embassy be moved. That's number one. Number two, if it really is the prime minister of Israel, and I have said that if it is the prime minister of Israel who's making this request of the United States, then I'm willing to you know give everybody a pass because he knows more about Israel security and negotiations than anybody else as far as I'm concerned. Then, then you really have to question if he would be coming out with the statements that he's been coming out with. I mean, he, I think it takes a lot of nerve if he made a request of the United States and of President Trump not to move that embassy. It takes a lot of nerve. Okay, wait, wait, don't waste your time. It's not true. The prime minister did not do it, so and he wanted it moved. So that, And the third that, thing is, if we're now sitting... With what is being regarded as the best as the best pro-Israel circle of people in the White House, with the ambassador to Israel, we know what his position is when it comes to Israel. We know what the Mid East envoy's position is when it comes to Israel. We even know somewhat what his son-in-law's position is when it comes to Israel. One would think that that inner circle would guarantee that this move would be made. So, will you join me in assigning blame to somebody for all of this or not? No, and and. <laughs> First of all, I mean, it's silly. The blame, the blame game doesn't produce anything, and anybody who blames somebody will come up with a theory like this one that, that the prime minister is telling him we don't really want you to do it. I have spoken to the prime minister about it. I, you know, I saw him when I was there last week. It is absolutely not true, and there's no evidence that it is true or indication that they uh, – it's not true. And his statement indicated that, that – I mean, that he didn't scream and yell and kick and, and, and threaten – it's right because the, you know Israel has tremendous agendas now with the with the United States government and and you know they can't um, I think his protestations were strong and in the private meetings I know that he did urge that the embassy be moved whether he said this is the singular issue that's that's most important I can't tell you but. Uh, certainly that was not the case. Second, I don't think it's fair to blame American Jewish leadership because they have supported it. We, they've come out for it. They, they talk about it, those who, who do. And, um, uh, you know, this is something that has been communicated to the administration. Uh, and remember, this is a, a different kind of administration than we have dealt with in the past. So what the channels are, are very hard to determine. And the role of the individuals you mentioned or or others in, in decisions, and it's clear that on many decisions, they're split decisions. You have people advocating for and against uh, climate control or Jerusalem bills or other things. Uh, frankly, it's hard to determine exactly how how each decision is made and how the competition, internal competition, uh, plays out on this. But I think that it's clearly it was the influence of the Arab leaders who told the president, "This is unnecessary. We're going to you're going to incite thing." And he says, "Look, I can wait six months. I'll, I'll review it in the interim months, and and make a decision." I think the pressure has to be kept up, 
and I'm telling you, it's not just that the Jewish leaders uh, uh, urged him to do it, said he should do it. Also, Christian leaders in America who right. carry a lot of weight because yep. they delivered a lot of votes for him. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the, uh, the the reaction of the Jewish community. You know, are we going to show that Jerusalem cares? I think the hype and all the you know the hoopla of this entire uh, process does show that uh, uh, American jury cares. In other words, usually I'm with you when it comes to us not being focused on Jerusalem and bringing items like this to the president and the White House's attention. But in this case, I really think we did. I think that uh, that the collective Jewish community you know, showed tremendous enthusiasm for it. I don't, I don't think they can be blamed for, for not uh, expressing their opinion on this one. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world the web at NahumSingle.com, on the NahumSingle Network, and, of course, on our beloved NSN app. By the way, and I know there's a million news items to talk about, but just a note from, and I'm, you probably noticed already because I'm sure you listen to our programming all day long. Um, one of the, I mean, there were so many, hi, <laughs> there were so many highlights in Jerusalem, and I'm sure you and I could exchange them for hours, but I will tell you, I had the privilege of, um, presiding over the Tuesday night closing session for the Mizrahi, which included Rabbi Lau and Natan Sharansky and Rami Gorin, et cetera, et cetera. And Natan Sharansky, of course, gets up. And what does he speak about? He speaks about, you know, what those soldiers meant, what the Israeli soldiers at the, at the wall meant to those who were in the, the Soviet Union, those who were either in the Gulag or, you know, who were refused Nixon in other ways, um, who were, you know, who had heard the news from Israel. And as the soldiers, the three paratroopers, were telling their individual stories, I'm sitting next to Natan Sharetsky, and he is hanging on every single word as if he is reliving the entire experience. And again, for those, and, and, and this is a really good context maybe for me to mention something else I wanted to tell you about. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a rally planned. There is a rally planned um, by a segment of the Jewish community against the Israeli government because of a supposed proposed draft law, which I, I think is so unclear that I don't even know how anyone can establish that there's you know, a, a, a specific direction the draft is going in Israel. And every one of those rallies, and I think you, could, you would agree with this, every one of those rallies turns into an anti-state of Israel rally. It's not just a rally about the draft issue uh, for those who should or should not be drafted. It turns into an issue publicly against the state of Israel, with terrible public statements made about the government and the state of Israel. And I think that, especially in light of this Yom Yerushalayim celebration, and, and remembering what Jerusalem and the state means to Jews around the world, Allah Sharansky, what I just told you from 50 years ago, I think it would be very prudent for every religious Jewish leader to think many times before they attend a rally like that. Are you willing to join me in advising them to think very hard about it? I wish they would think hard about a lot of things right now, and, and I think this. It, it, I, I don't. I, first of all, I think it's been condemned uh, and by uh, most of the leadership, including in Israel, that uh, they have come out against uh, these demonstrations, and many of them turned violent, and they're a, a, a marginal group. And uh, while they have a certain rabbinic backing, I don't think that it's. Uh, um, you know, it's certainly not widespread or, or even uh, condoned by most of the of the segments. And I think that there's a lot of confusion about the, the issue itself, as you said. When you ask people to define it and explain exactly what what they think the law says, and uh, I, for, for one, can tell you that I still don't understand it all. Uh, but the the the, the rally, for instance, at the at the parade, there will be people there who will look dressed in traditional Jew garb, 
you know, from the Turkarta who come there and stand there with the enemies of Israel. They are enemies of Israel as well, and I think enemies of the Jewish people. And and you think of the damage that they're doing when you see the challenges that we face, uh, and we're not getting into the issues which are really critical today. We see, you know, Iran's expansion of its influence and the the. Um, uh, the role, role that they're playing in the growth of some of the terrorist entities and things that are going on around Israel, that the, um, uh, you know, the, the fact that people can so uh, glibly lend their names and their forces, I, I find very few people, even in the most Haredi communities, who, who really support or are not embarrassed by the activities of these groups. And the only way to counter it is with the pocketbook. All right, I uh, I may have some suggestions of people you need to speak to before uh, that planned rally in Brooklyn, New York. Um, all right, so was there an agreement or not that certain areas in Area C be transposed into Area B, meaning that uh, in light of the president's visit to Israel, Israel has agreed to turn over areas that they control to PA control? As far as I know, that is not the case. What I know... Uh, and and that is one of the things that's been proposed is that they would expand the areas where they w- would be able to build and and um, and we remember that that uh, I don't know ninety percent of the area eighty some percent of the area is not inhabited so it's you're talking about uh, expansion and, and giving them um, building rights in more areas. Uh, Cajalon went to visit the. Um, uh, the PA uh, Prime Minister, and he laid out some of the recommendations and things that the Israel was offering, which was a response to the visit and to some of the uh, pressure that was brought to bear, which would mean the keeping the Allenby Bridge open for 24 hours, um, to, to some of the other steps that they, you know, gestures on uh, taxes or on uh, making it easier for people or workers to get in and out from the PA, but um, not talking about transferring any land that no no government of Israel that I know of would would do that. And and you know what's interesting is that you see it's universal, the criticisms of the PA that the leaders of the the Labor Party, the Zionist Union, went to visit the the, uh, territories and in a demonstration of support before the president's visit. You see Yair Lapid's uh, op-ed pieces, um, uh, so... The um, uh, you know the, the, uh, there is a universal feeling in Israel, I think, in a sense that where the people of Israel are on this issue, and I think no government is, is blind to that. So these are gestures; these are things that they came to an understanding. There may be much more in the works, but this is what I know. Uh, we know that the president had a successful, at least what he viewed as a successful, trip to Saudi Arabia before. Israel, this $110 million deal that includes combat aircraft and radar technology to Saudi Arabia. Would you like to see uh, more questions asked? Would you like to see uh, more of an issue in Congress and among Jewish leaders uh, before this deal goes through? Well, I think we have to assess it first. For one thing, you're talking about huge numbers when you're talking about, you know, a $100 billion deal that could grow to much more. And you also have to look at what they're giving 
to other countries in the region. Even Qatar is getting uh, more advanced uh, uh, planes. So uh, is the UAE, uh, Egypt, and they're getting it from the United States. They're buying from Russia. They're buying from France uh, fighter jets. So when you uh, accumulate all of that, you begin to see that the numbers become far more significant. You're talking about hundreds of and hundreds of new planes arrayed against Israel. Now it's true that Israel has an advantage, and we have, and Israel is the only one that has the F-35. The question is how long that will last. How long will the U.S. Uh, assure that they, they don't get these more advanced uh, planes? They also have the introduction in most of the countries of new anti-aircraft systems, including the S-300 in Egypt, and each of the countries has uh, different systems. Uh, many of them give them the capability from within their own borders to spot Israeli operations. And uh, and while Israel, uh, uh, the promise has been sustained, uh, repeated over and over again that Israel's military edge is not going to be affected. Tillerson said it. Others have said it. But the fact is that the sheer numbers, and and there is more experience in the part of some of the pilots. They've been fighting in Yemen, the Saudis, and in Syria. Uh, again, not a match for for Israel's uh, experience necessarily, but uh, or. Not necessarily, and they're, they're just not. Um, but the the uh, uh, if you look at the total array of all of the planes, not just the Saudi package deal, and then the question is, what what more will they pressure to buy? When you're investing four hundred million dollar a billion dollars, or promising to in the United States, that gives you a lot of a lot of uh, leeway. Right now, you know, it's a more hospitable relationship than it was in the past, but. That can change. We know that these things are all very mercurial and, and subject to very quick change in the, in the Middle East. You think there'll be members of Congress who make a big deal about it? I think there'll be members of Congress who will raise questions about it. I hope that... Uh, but, but look, the Israelis certainly have been raising questions and, and discussing it, and they have not, as far as I know, raised public objection to the, to the sale itself. Um, but I'm sure quietly that they are expressing uh, concern. And because, you, you know, you can't think of it today or tomorrow. You've got to think that this thing, what's going to happen five years from now, ten years from now, where you could have changes in the governments. You know, some uh, Saudi Arabia people predict it's an unstable regime. What happens when transition? The uh, growth of Wahhabism, other things. You never know in any of these regimes what the situation will be tomorrow. And then with these very advanced uh, weapons... It is true that Israel uh, is obviously more capable, and hopefully there will be um, some consideration given Israel will need to buy many more F-35s, which also give them the ability to evade some of the radar systems or to, to penetrate. Um, but uh, just look at the situation in Sinai. Look what they're facing on, on each of the borders uh, to understand that, uh, that maintaining that qualitative edge and superiority, not just for the immediate, but for a much longer period, is really in incredibly important. By the way, while you were in Israel, I don't even know, frankly, if, if, if you knew the answer to this, if you would say it publicly, but I'll ask it anyway. While you were in Israel, did you hear anything about the possibility of some uh, action by Israel along that border with Gaza during these upcoming summer months? 
There is talk about it. There have been uh, Israeli officials who have uh, military and other officials who say that uh, they see uh, the buildup on the Gaza side by Hamas. Now, Hamas is again getting funding from, from Iran. That is a big change. Uh, of course, Hezbollah, there was a three-way meeting between in Lebanon between Hezbollah, Hamas, and Iran. Uh, and they had broken with each uh, Hamas uh, endorsed, did not endorse uh, uh, the war in Syria and Assad the way the Iranians wanted, so they broke, and now they're back funding them. And it's interesting that there's a big fight in the Sinai between the Bedouin and ISIS, and because of it, the uh, ISIS is more limited, and they uh, they had kidnapped four members of one of the main tribes and then killed them and returned their bodies. And now they're saying it's Hamas that's really supporting ISIS, and this is the Bedouin who are now uncovering the tunnels and revealing a lot of information about uh, Hamas's activities against Egypt with ISIS. And, of course, their buildup in Israel, it's in Gaza itself, where they have more and more uh, modern rocketry and stuff, and that's why... Uh, many of the people, uh, the analysts in Israel who study this stuff, uh, look at it with uh, with concern that that uh, something may have to happen again. Terrorism. Right now, it's not in the interest of Hamas to do it. I think that they are somewhat uh, holding back. Tourism in Israel at the moment is unbelievable. Uh, hotels and record year. Hotels, cab drivers, restaurants, guides are enjoying the incredible, uh, uh, the incredible influx of tourists. Thank God, thank God it should continue. And not that that's not a reason to go to war, if necessary. Obviously, Israel security is paramount. Uh, but you'd hate to see the uh, that industry, which is so important to Israel, have to suffer even the slightest. Um, by the way, is it disingenuous of the press? Uh, when ISIS takes responsibility for the Manchester bombing to call him a lone attacker? Isn't that a little strange? Well, the British uh, keep saying that uh, that this is, uh, that it appeared that he built the bomb alone, etc., but they always leave the caveat open that there was more to it, and clearly there was more. They, they admit that he probably was in, uh, in Lebanon, that he was in other places, so um, the... the uh, uh, likelihood that he's an uh, individual, but look at the numbers that they're talking about, that they have 3,000 people under active investigation, 15,000 more that they that uh, are of interest, that the the numbers are, are astonishing when you think about the resources that are necessary to, to sustain that and to monitor uh, uh, all the people. And now you saw the French are, in fact, sending people in to eliminate some of the French fighters, something that other countries uh, from the region did for a long time. Uh, they are, are actively uh, um, pursuing them because once they get into the, they return, it's very hard to, to address them and to find them and they carry out the potential acts. So you have many, many in Europe today and uh, and and you see the statements that the you know, England is vulnerable to terror attacks by jihadis who who can't get to Syria today because they they're being frustrated uh, uh, in their efforts to get to Syria, so they stay where they are. And now the orders both ISIS and Al Qaeda give say stay at home and carry out the attacks there, and they name Jewish source sites, Israeli sites, but Western sites uh, as well. And the the resources that are available to the, to to fight them are, are limited. Yeah, your reaction to the election of Hassan Rouhani in Iran? Look, it's a sham. The fact is that he is just as radical as as most of the others. He he may not 
you know, profess the same publicly, but he certainly has shown that the number of executions, the human rights violations, the Senate acted very decisively over the, the days to to impose sanctions, and uh, and ho- the House, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee voted 18 to three. I think there are 48 co-sponsors in the in the Senate already. Democrats have come on board uh, these efforts to. Um, to be much more aggressive with new sanctions uh, on Iran's missile program. And they know that the election of Rouhani, uh, it's still the supreme leader who calls the shots. Um, one of the things they're all trying to do is protect uh, the JCPOA. There seems to be a fear that if you, if, uh, if you give them an excuse, they'll break out. And then now they, they are publicly announcing the Iranians that they have the ability to mass produce these advanced centrifuges, which will if you increase their ability to to break out or to sneak out at some point and increase the uranium enrichment. Right now, most of the, the sanctions, the new sanctions that are being introduced have to do with their human rights, terrorism, and their missile programs, none of which are covered by the JCPOA. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the, uh, the Senate when it comes to Iran sanctions. I mean, it, no matter what it says in it, there will likely be an overwhelming Senate vote in its favor, correct? Yes, and, and Iran says it has built a third underground ballistic missile factory. I mean, they challenge all the time. Right. And uh, and we know that they're working together with North Korea. There's more revelations to come out about it on the nuclear program, on the uh, missile program. And um, uh, so that even what we see, and IEA admits that they don't have the capacity and capability to to uh, fully uh, uh, monitor and to, to have access to the... Information and now they could do it in Iraq. They can do it in elsewhere, uh, Iran and the territories they control. Uh, and you see, by the way, Soleimani's uh, uh, presence in in many places, moving around the region, expanding the influence. Uh, and he is the you know the I think the bellwether where you can tell where where, where the uh, Iranians are are moving. So. You have, and, and within Iran, you have clearly a lot of dissatisfaction, a lot of, uh, of concern. There, there have been many assessments that Iran's internal situation has deteriorated, not gotten better. They've also lost people in Syria and um, in Yemen and, and elsewhere. So the, 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 the role of Iran, their activities, their aggressiveness doesn't diminish under Rouhani or anybody else. That's for sure. Finally, uh, when the uh, uh, when the ambassador of Israel to the United Nations is elected vice president of the General Assembly, is that a small deal because it's happened before, or it's a big deal because it's never happened before? Uh, it's the fourth time that an Israeli has been elected, uh, but it is it's a significant statement. It's something they work hard to get because it's a it puts Israel you know a certain recognition of Israel coming from the West European and other groups, which is the WIAG as they're called, which is the regional group to which Israel belongs. Uh, it's not the natural group, but the, the natural group is not one that would have them. So the West European is sort of like a catch-all. Australia's in there, Canada's in the U.S. What is uh, it, Western Europe. European other countries? That's what it is? West European and other groups. <laughs> it's called WIAG. <laughs> so people have learned something today. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> um, and I think that the, the you know, so it is a recognition, in, and uh, he has been a very visible uh, ambassador, outspoken. Uh, so this is, uh, but it is, I think they said it's the fourth time that an Israeli ambassador 
he's not just one. I mean, there are several who are designated as, uh, you know, vice chairman or whatever of the General Assembly. And that means essentially when the secretary isn't there or somebody, the, or the chairman uh, uh, of the General Assembly is not there, that one of the vice chair people sits in. And particularly when the prime minister of Israel speaks, they usually are in the chair of the General Assembly. Right. All right. A uh, couple of reminders. Uh, anti-draft rallies become anti-Israel rallies. It always happens, everybody. Think a thousand times before you go, or frankly, just don't go. Where you should go this Sunday is, of course, the Celebrate Israel Parade, an amazing opportunity in New York City, believe it or not, to show support and come out in favor of the land of Israel, the state of Israel, the government of Israel, and our blessed IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, this coming Sunday up Fifth Avenue in New York City. Malcolm, you will be visible on the parade route. I will be there with the family and not uh, standing, but walking. There you go. And we look forward to seeing you. Have a wonderful show. Rest up for the parade, please. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Well, I'll be at the Young Israel in uh, Scarsdale for Shabbos. So this Shabbos tonight? Comes. Yep. Are they doing a speech tonight? Do they realize what time Shabbos starts? Not tonight, tomorrow. Oh, What's the topic tomorrow? It's a surprise. <laughs> no, nah, come on. <laughs> you got to entice people in Scarsdale to come on out and hear you. <laughs> that, that's the best thing. They'll be surprised. <laughs> What I hate most about Friday mornings, that will be Malcolm's topic. <laughs> Have a wonderful time. Yeah, getting there. <laughs> close, huh? Very close. It'll definitely be part of the Q&A, that I can guarantee you. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Parade Sunday, 5th Avenue, New York City. Be there.